Hi, Internet, and welcome to episode two of Open Paren. Uh, today, I will be chatting with Francis Kayua, who's a senior Unix administrator at the Virginia Tech University Libraries. Um, although, as I understand, you are actually like embodied by a robot most of the time because you, in fact, live nowhere near Virginia Tech. Yes, I. Um, hello, um, I. People in Virginia Tech know me as a. Um, iPad sitting atop of a telepresence um, double robotics robot. Um, I travel once every, used to be every six weeks, now it's about every eight weeks. Um, and I spend a week in Blacksburg. Cool. So yeah. does the robot actually let you like move around the library or your coworkers push so you? So it can. It, it, it is a, um, um, it has an iOS and it has a web browser interface that is, um, you know, I drive like I type. So I have this little <laughs> app that I navigate and I can say, drive me over here. Of course, I have to have a, a signal. Um, and if you've ever been in most library um, buildings, um, wireless is <laughs> not particularly good. So oftentimes, somebody will actually ferry the robot to a location, and um, that's how I use it. But, but you know, I bet you if you go to Double Robotics elsewhere, yes, you can drive it, and you can. Mm -hmm. um, just that, you know, if you have ever been in most library buildings, you will get to a point where it'll die because it can't phone home. I'm fascinated by this because I've been full-time telecommute for the last few years working for distributed companies, but I've never had like an embodied presence of them. Mm -hmm. I, I just use communication tools, right? And so I, I'm right. wondering like, why, are there benefits you get out of having some sort of physical manifestation? Um, there is. I, 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 you know, I'm going to sound like I'm selling, you know, double robotics, please send your paycheck here. I, I, <laughs> I feel like there is. Um, there is, um, as somebody who started out working in, you know, an office, there is that, um, you know, I'm in the room, and unlike a phone, unlike you know all the other tools that we have, unlike the way we are talking right now, if there's if those four other people, there is a robot, and I can make it move so that you actually acknowledge my presence, and in a way that you know perhaps in Hangout, you know, people don't. You know your 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 presence is not necessarily acknowledged in a way that I feel that having um, the robot allows me. So I think it's great, and and for those who are going to be at Lida, you know, this is the last time I'm going to shill for um, double robotics. <laughs> They're actually bringing their product to Minneapolis, so yes, um, you can I about you can that. get you can give that a look see. I I I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to see more on Lita blog about that because I know that there's there's gonna be one at Lita Forum, and I'm yeah. I'm hoping that I can experience a little bit of Lita Forum since I do not get to go to Minneapolis. There you go. There's the robot. I need to talk to people about that. That that would <laughs> be pretty rad. <laughs> right. Um. So anyway, I, I skipped ahead a bit because I was so fascinated by your robot, but mm -hmm. um, I had intended my opening question to be the same one I asked Cecily based okay. on the Another Round podcast she got me into because it's awesome, um, which is, what do you do and okay. why? Um, oh, wow. And I did listen to her podcast and I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even do my homework. Says I am a, as my title suggests, I'm a Unix administrator and um, why it, it man, that's going to be a long story. So I I was a math and history major 
Um, and um, my roommate my senior year was a computer science major. No, I'll even go back further. Um, in my secondary school, um, sorry, in my high school, we had, um, um, I think it was Pascal. Anyway, we had a computer um, club. Now, I grew up in Kenya. We had a computer club, and you had to go to this tiny room, and you had to sign up. You know, I didn't grow up with computers, but I had access to them in my secondary school. And so I always had this disparaging thing about the computer club. It was, you know, it, you know, it's like, it's not really a thing that you do. It's, it's the same as the chess club. You know, you don't become a chessician, you know, unless, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a handful of people who become really good at it. But most of us, you know, you go and you play chess or you go to the judo club and then there was a computer club. So I always looked at it as something that people do, you know, you go over there. And I got into it, but um, as you can imagine, you know, in, in Kenya, it was highly competitive to get into this club, and I was in it. And But the amount of time that you afforded on, you know, these tiny, you know, you know circa 1985 computers were, was, was very tiny. So you had to come in prepared to maximize your time. And it was a combination of frustration with it. And so fast forward to my university, my senior year, one of my friends was in the computer science department and he had his own computer in his room. And, you know, this is um, late 90s. And, and so, you know, I was sitting one time with him and we were just talking about what he does. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And, you know, at, at the time, I'd be, you'd be able to use email, you'd be able to use Gopher, I think. Ah, Gopher. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, this is really interesting. And it was in the, in you know, access to information. First thing I looked for was, you know, can I get the Kenyan newspapers? And, you know, so I dug in. And, you know, as he was standing behind me telling me all these things I can do, he's like, that's computer science? And um, so I, at this point, it's it's my junior year, third semester. I'm on a scholarship with a sell-by date. And <laughs> like, there's no way I move you know, all these, you know, I, there's no way I, I would be able to turn this into get the computer science degree. So, um, man, this is a long way. Um, so, I, you know, I, I graduate from university. I've, I've literally caught the computer book. I, I want it. I want some. And my my year, you know, as a as a um, international student, you're allowed an extra year on your four-year visa. I found a friend of mine living in Buffalo had access to computers, and I and I and I dove in like both feet. And um, so, you know, the 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 luxury or curse of youth. Um, um, you know, it gets to about April, and I'm going. My goodness, I have four months. I don't. My visa is about to expire. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I called my advisor. I don't even know why I thought this. You know, I called my advisor. He's like, well, you know, you can, you're not going to be able to get an H-1B visa with just a bachelor's degree. I can tell you that. Um, or you can go back to school. It's like, but it's a little too late to apply to go to any, um, to any, you know, to your math, you know, to, 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 to advance in mathematics or history or any of the fields because you have to have done the, um, you know, the tests by now. So, you know, I was in Buffalo and it was like, oh, library school. So I'm about to out myself as one of those. <laughs> I went to library school to get a paycheck. Um, so um, I went to library school. It turns out, you know, there is more to it than met the eye. Um, and because of my interest in computer at this point was still nascent, but 
you know, getting even, I was getting even more um, into it. Um, I ended up sticking with what I knew. And um, while I did get the library degree, I, I felt that, you know, because I went in for pragmatic reasons, like I needed to get a, to get a job. And the only way I was going to get a job was something to do with computers. Um, and um, the University of Illinois at Chicago took a chance on me. Um, I, I will tell you, you know, outright, there's no way I was the best candidate, but they had a residency program and I fit, you know, certain boxes. And, and it was at that point that I actually, you know, the two years of residency is when I started feeling like a librarian. Um, in a very weird way. It's like, you know, I was going into this because I needed to get another extension on my visa and I needed to get a job. And I got both. And it was during my, it was an initial two-year residency program is when I started because like, oh, there is, you know, there is a method here. There is deliberateness. There is, um, um, you know, you know, strategy about how you manage information in this field. And, and so I ended up um, spending two years actually getting my library degree while doing the job and um, while growing my skills at the same time. So fantastic, you know, um, inroads into it. And so I do it mostly because I needed a job. Um, I'm actually good at, you know, um, self-taught Unix admin. I'm actually good at what I do. And 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 so yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't answered your question, but um, yeah, that's that's who I am, and that's what I do. That's fascinating, though. I was I was really reminded when you talked about you know coming across the internet and like, oh, this is why computers like matter. Right. <laughs> um, my uh, my my alma mater, Harvey Mudd, they have done some high profile work. Um, overhauling their computer science curriculum um, as part of an effort to get more women to major in computer science. Because when, when I was there, was there, there were like two women, women computer science major, computer science majors in the whole school. There is an echo going on. Uh, I can't help you with okay, that. No, 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 we're good. No, we're okay. good. Um, Anyway, uh, when I was there, the, the school as a whole was 25 or 30 percent female, but the mm -hmm. computer science major was much, much smaller, okay. um, vanishingly small percentage. Um, and part of what they've done is they've made the freshman computer science, there's a required class, everybody takes it. I took it, and it was quite well taught, but never got me to consider majoring in CS. Mm -hmm. um, it's overhauled now, so it's much more focused on like real-world projects. Which wasn't necessarily possible so much in 1995, right? The sure. tool chain for making a web app is so much better now than it was then, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was very much like, okay, I've done this programming thing, I can do it, but I don't know what it's for. Because the, the kind of apps you could write after a semester of freshman programming in the mid-90s were just not things that connected to anything I wanted to do. Correct. And <laughs> right. And now they, which is funny, because I was also a math major, and I was an extremely theoretical math major, and I haven't mm -hmm. gone on in math because I did the kind of math where, like, literally all you can do is get a PhD and work for the NSA, and, like, I didn't want to do that. So I don't know why I cared about practical applications, but apparently I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, 
That said, okay. <laughs> so speaking of practical applications, I one of the things you mentioned when you were talking to me before this about stuff you might want to talk about, you gave a whole list of like DevOps support tools, like mm -hmm. Ansible and Docker and stuff I haven't even heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is awesome because I know that Docker is the new hotness, but I have uh, no idea why because I am not in DevOps. So yeah. why is Docker the new hotness? Well, <laughs> it, marketing. Um, I, you know, um, um, you know it, it really is. It, you know, you get you know um, venture. You know, it, it, I'm being unfair to you know Docker. Um, what they're doing was done by um, Solaris people who've, who've, who've used Solaris. When you know, my first the first computer that I logged into at my old university was a Solaris box, and it had zones and. And the, the the concept of a container, or the constant the concept of having a um, you know I, I like to think of it personally as a as an um, you know insane padded room where you can do whatever it is that you want. If it's not going to affect the person next door, they won't even hear your sound. Um, and I think computationally that has been around for years. I think you know I know I think I know those zones in this. Um, Solaris um, operating system, FreeBSD and Jails, and OpenBSD has the uh, um, uh, their shroot, um, and and all of these have been done um, with varying you know degrees of you know hotnesses, and what what you know the um, I I am going to speculate that you know they had a problem to solve, and they had you know they were running out of you know the ability either to license virtual machines and you know they got really clever and so what the docker ecosystem does is basically it ships um, what will appear to you if you have access to the container as a you know full stack it's you know an entire strip even you, you'll think you're running an entire um, operating system but really you're running you know a, a container inside um, um, another, you know, much more powerful um, Linux um, operating system, and what it does that virtual machines don't do is it uses the same. So it has a very low um, memory footprint. So mm -hmm. um, if they're well designed, you can run lots and lots and lots of these, which I imagine is what I'm not going to remember the people who developed it is what they were trying to do. Instead of having virtual machines, which you run out of, you know, the virtual machine does actually. Um, um, start to eat up the amount of memory you're using because if you spin up a virtual machine, it runs at its own environment. It does everything. Whereas a mm -hmm. container says, like, I only need memory. You know, allocate, and then it passes the um, responsibility to the kernel. So, um, from a from a library perspective, or from what we're trying to do, I, I try to think of. I'm going to use um, Omeka. Um, mm -hmm. Um, libraries and digital humanities. Everybody wants an Omeka instance. Um, I can, you know, as a, as a, as, a, uh, as coming from the ops side, I'd say yes, Andromeda. I'm glad you want to set up an Omeka instance, but do I really need to spin up an entire operating system just for you to run your Omeka? It's like, um, or do I even need to spin up a virtual machine to run up your Omeka? The answer to those is no, no, no. That's that means now I have two problems. Now I have to take care of your <laughs> server. Now I have to take care of my server. Now I have to make sure it's patched. Whereas if I have, have a container, I say, put it in this container, and all I'm worried about is making sure that 
one server is running. Um, so again, you, we're, we tend to be powered by lazy, and, mm -hmm. and Docker solves that really well. Docker allows us to use our resources really well, because eventually you're going to run out of you know, virtual machines to license. Eventually, you're going to run out of all these very practical um, problems. And and Docker, you know, you know, as 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 an organization, we are just starting to put things into containers. Um, um, it'll take us about a year. So what we do is we evaluate. You know, we're looking at DSpace. What would we need to do with that? Um, what are the penalties? What are the trade-offs? And we go back to the um, um, developers and say, "It's like, well, you know, we can put this in a container, but this means you can't do X. Is that worth your while?" And I'm starting, and I'm starting to talk about DevOps. It's like that's mm -hmm. all it is. It's like I care about, I care about your problem, but I'm looking at the elephant from a different um, side, a different different uh, perspective than you are. So I'll tell them, "It's like if we move to Docker, you lose this." Um, do you care about losing that? Or if we move to Docker, um, you know, this is the penalty. You know, you don't get to log into a machine like you currently do. Do you care? And what's the impact of that? And then we iterate through that. We negotiate through that. And um, sometimes you don't get what you want. Um, and you know, using the um, D space as an example, I'm pretty sure we don't have an answer for that. Um, but we continue to iterate through until we come to a place where everybody's happy, everybody knows what they own, what part of the elephant they own, and then we, we watch it move. Um, so yeah, that's, that's Docker in a very, you know, I'm pretty sure I've, you know, it's, it's weird, you know, speaking to you is like, do I have all my facts on Docker correct? And, <laughs> more and facts than I have on Docker. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, that's what Docker attempts to solve, is that it allows me to be able to say, I'll create one container that has, um, a, a vanilla Omeka instance, and then to you, you'll think you're logging into a machine, and I don't have to spin up five different um, Omeka instances. I have, you know, a parametrized um, um, Omeka Docker container. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm used to solving sort of from the software side the dependency management problem. Right. But it sounds like this is also letting you put a limit on your memory footprint or. Right. Other right. things on the more hardware and system side you might care about. Okay. Yeah, it's and you know that you you know you you brought up something that's really interesting is you know what it allows you. One of the other things, you know, one of the other things that I, I try to sell when I'm negotiating with um, developers is if you have it in a container, you can throw it just about anywhere. So if my data center went down today, um, you have your container, you put it on Amazon Web Service, you put it on DigitalOcean. You say you, you install Docker and boom, you know that's all you have to worry about. So you, if you think about, I mean, they describe it this way in their introductory docs. It's like you have a container that's self-contained. It has everything that you need in your stack. All, all I would have to worry about is how do I mount a volume on my storage to say when her container says var www, what does it actually store that? You know, where is the persistent data going to be? It's like so, I create a map. Do that same. Yeah. Dump it yeah. in my storage area network, and you know your container thinks varww is actually you know something that lives in the container. But the truth is, you know, through Voodoo, we have um, a map that says, yeah, that's just going to our storage area network, and you know that now 
you know, now that I use the Amazon Web Services, like bad example. Um, but you know, as far as we're concerned, we can tear down that container as long as we map it to the storage. Mm -hmm. You know, we only have to worry about the storage, and your container can go any place. We give you your storage, excuse me, and then you do the mapping on Amazon Web Services. So you still got to be doing like database backup somewhere separately, right. Right. pointing right. out right. The, right. the the actual data. Correct. But you've got all the software. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So you were mentioning like limitations. So I, I get they can't SSH to a machine because there is no machine. What other, what would be the downsides of using Docker? When would I not want to use um, it? You know, it's like, I don't, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those, I don't quite fully understand the Linux kernel and <laughs> I don't need to. And, and because, because I don't fully understand and because it's really new, it's like that would be my worry. So it's it's the it's the you know it's it's security track record hasn't been tested well enough. Yeah, I've heard um, about that. So so you know again you know it's 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 do you really want to be on the bleeding edge with something that is really important to you? My answer to that is no. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I would use you know is is like I would I would advocate no again you know I'm using it, um, mm -hmm. but I would advocate caution with it is and and so you know time will tell um you know we've had lots of things that come that have come up like this over the years that you know are the new hotness and then you you look five years down the road it's like whatever happened to docker <laughs> um you know the venture money runs up whatever um and and so you know that would be my number one downside is um again we are you know as as as, as an organization um i i like I like the fact that it frees people from depending on me. Mm -hmm. So if you can if you can learn how to containerize your application, then all I have to worry about is I'm making sure that you know my Docker is patched. It's like I don't have to do anything. But as from your design perspective, it's like you should worry about you know um, you know will it you know you're you're hedging your bet on something that is really really you know it's like it's the what is that curve technology adoption curve is like it and and is that would be my number one concern and it, it's it's a it's a real one i don't i've never looked at the code well enough to say this frightens me but you know it's <laughs> it's it's um um that would be the downside yeah i mean it probably does right what's is the Quinn Norton essay about everything is broken. And like the more you get into software, the more right. you realize everything is nothing but like duct tape and explosives. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you, you, you could use that. It's, and 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 again, um, there is enough cleverer people than me who are betting their house on Docker. Um, mm. There's people who are cleverer than me whose um, house, you know, is 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 um, value is measured on quarters, so they need to make sure that Docker works for them. And mm -hmm. so that, you know, having said that, I worry about its adoption rate and not quite fully understanding it. I mean, I understand what it leverages in the Linux kernel, but mm -hmm. um, how they implemented it is something that I always worry about. Mm -hmm. um, and it sort of segues really well into, you know, my favorite operating system is, you know, the simplicity. It's like, the, it feels over-engineered to me. Mm -hmm. Again, I've never, you know, 
looked at the um, the actual, well, I've looked at the source code, but it feels every time I look at it, it's like, wow, you really need to do all of this? And the, the answer is probably yes. Um, um, in a way that, you know, my, you know, not having a CS background, being able to read and write and see is like every time I look at some of the design decisions um, with, uh, you know, my OpenBSD, I always, it's like, I get it. I probably could never write this code, but I see, I, you know, the, the simplicity of how um, the operating system itself works um, makes me feel confident every time the OpenBSD project does anything. It's like I go, it's like, yeah, it's like I've looked, but again, I've also spent, you know, the better part of, um, um, what is 2000? The better part of 15 years, you know, working with this. So I, I have confidence in a way that, you know, Docker is new and, I've never really, really looked at the Linux kernel to say, yeah, this makes sense. But every time I look at it, it's like, really? That? Yeah. <laughs> Over-engineered over is, 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 is probably my first reaction. But then again, it, it works for a lot of people. So you keep mentioning OpenBSD and your favorite operating system. So I take it these are, these are the same thing. So why is it your favorite? Um, so um, most, most of what I've done, um, um, with computers is who is my closest friend um, and why, you know, who is my closest friend who's an expert mm -hmm. and what do they use? Um, um, it, I was at Access in September. Is it September? Yeah, it was September. And I'm going to say that Twitter handles because, my goodness, I'm not, I'm not remembering <laughs> anyone's names. Red Librarian and I think Archivalistic did this presentation of how they would um, do what is the equivalent of pair programming. Um, but I've always had someone like that that I can walk down the hall and say, hey, why are you doing? So when I started picking up um, computing, um, at the time, you know, it was either access to a Sun Solaris you know, or as a timeshare, excuse me, or it was you know, somebody using a variant of Windows. And Linux had just come out. And some of my friends were using Linux, and one of them happened to have OpenBSD. And the very first computer that I assembled for myself, um, I, there was something with the drivers that I couldn't install. Um, Slackware. Yes, because um, I, I couldn't get it on. Uh, I, oh. I couldn't get it online, so you know, I you know, fought and fought and fought and fought with it. And one of my other friends down the hall was like, "Just try OpenBSD. Works." And um, you know, by God, it did. It 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 just it was like, wow, that was it. You know, the, the the install process. You know, I remember just sitting there and going, that was it. And then after you log in, the first thing it it tells you, the first thing you log in is, you know, run the after boot um, command, and it tells you what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who'd never, you know, had the CS background, who always has a chip on his shoulders, always doubting, you know, your, you know, you, you know, do I belong here? You know, it had the, it's exactly what I needed. It, 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 it tells me, you know, after you've installed this, the first thing you should type is, I think it's help. It's either help or after boot. But it tells you all the things that you need to do in order to actually use this operating system. It tells you if you're a system administrator, you really need to do all these things. Um, and it's all contained. I don't have to go, what do we use then? You didn't have to go to IRC. You didn't have you know, everything that you needed to run this machine was already in there. You know, plus maybe the FAQ, these things that, you know, they can't package. And um, 
that simplicity of, you know, we've, and, you know, it, it actually does say, it's like we spend a lot of time writing good documentation, so use it. Um, and, it makes such a and, difference. Yes, and, 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 and you will not, you know, I think, I think um, Django, I think Ansible have, you know, enviable documentation, but you will not find an operating system with, with as clear, and, and I mean clear, they, they, write, they write the documentation um, to make it work. You know, oh. there is, there is it, it, it's, it's, you're trying to do this, you know, here's a synopsis, here's what you need to do. And, and, you know, you don't have to say, you know, you don't have to make a little prayer, you don't have to make a sacrifice or God on Tuesday in order for it to work. You don't have to do any inch, you know, chance to say, I want, this is what I'm trying to do. And um, for someone who was just getting up, it was extremely useful for me because I, you know, there's, again, there's that, I don't understand it. Or I don't have the background or, I mean, I can understand this, but I don't, you know, the, the assumption with a lot of the other documentation that you read in operating system is assumes that you already have a CS background. It, it, it comes off that way. It's like, you know, what do you mean you don't understand this? It's yeah. like, well, you know, I don't. Um, they write in the same, you know, they, um, the, you know, OpenBSD is written for people who want to do what they want to do and get out. Um, its default is, you know, generally things in the default state will just work. You know, you say it's like I just want to add this, or I want to do that, and you go and do the knob tweaking, and then you'll walk away. Um, and for someone who always, you know, going back to you know, always thought of computers as they're really just there to do certain things, and then you walk away and not don't have to think about them. It's like that appealed to me. Um, you know, fast forward, you know, now it's like I find myself doing a lot more than I need to, and um, so yeah, its simplicity was its attraction. Mm -hmm. And it's reliable, you know, it's just, um, it, my God, it's reliable. <laughs> it always <laughs> astonishes me the extent to which man pages are like this genre and they're, right. you know, they're, they're reference, they're not explanation. So yeah, they right. do expect that you already basically know it. You just forgot. And I, I just, yeah. yeah, I think about Linux documentation. I think about man pages and then I think about ignoring the man pages and finding something on Stack Overflow. Tells me what I actually need to know. <laughs> I've, I've never found that genre readable. And right. yeah, it's, I do think there is this sort of built in assumption that you do have the person down the hall you can ask, right? Right. And, and, and I think even for those of us who are, you know, self taught, which you mm -hmm. and I both identify as to at least some extent, like, we had the person down the hall we could ask, right? right. Like, I'm married to a software engineer, I can always right. ask questions. And, right. and yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, the the ability to express ideas clearly is extremely difficult. You know, the idea the, the ability to express ideas clearly and simply is very difficult. I, I fully acknowledge that. It's like I have my own biases when I write. You know, I you know I, I can't sit here and say it's like I write documentation that actually accommodates you. But um, but having said that, you know, there's people who can do it, and you know, you know the the you know. Ansible's documentation is there. Um, I, I'd say Django. I, you know, it's when when I started writing when I started writing programs, Django was my first foray. Um, um, I used to maintain other people's code, but when I first started actually writing 
this is Francis's idea. This is how Francis is going to do it. Um, the closest, I mean, I tried, I, I don't want to say I tried, I exhausted everything. It's like, but um, I found the, the hand-holding of the Django project for someone who didn't mm -hmm. fancy himself a developer, who will never fancy himself a developer. I can write code, but I'm not a programmer, is I found that liberating. It's like, yeah. you know, they have, this is how you do this. This means that. And, and that's, that's, that's key, you know, is, um, you know, there is no assumption that, you know, you know what object orientation is. It's like, this is the problem Django tries to solve. This is how Django solves it. When you're trying to do the, it, it, um, the ability to write like that is difficult. You know, I, you know, I, I, I regret that I missed um, uh, Becky Yo's um, code for lib documentation um, pre-con, but, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's most of my programming is Django and definitely all of the tutorials. The tutorial is extraordinary and the stuff is very good. I, I have run into things that are not as well documented as I might like, but only because I've really like pushed the borders of what Django wants to do at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, shout out to good documentation. Um, yeah. Django REST framework, I want to mention them for good documentation, and yeah. Stripe, which is like the best documentation I've ever seen. Okay. Um, the payment processor, okay. thing of beauty. And yeah. yeah, I agree. It's like documentation is a form of hospitality. I've said that right. before. It's, it's yeah, and so, so to <laughs> me, it's like I felt I felt immediately comfortable in. Now I've used you know just about every Unix or Unix-like operating system. Mm -hmm. To to swear at all of them, I I swear very little. Um, <laughs> I, I swear very little when I'm running my OpenBSD boxes. Like, um, yeah, I know exactly where to get it. I, the, and 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 occasionally I'll get frustrated when I'll have to go to the um, OpenBSD FAQ. But mostly um, the documentation is self-contained. And I and I like to say say to people is like, you can get on a plane and you'll have all the documentation that you need to run your operating system and not have to be connected. Um, yes. And and um that that is uh, you know my you know par exemplar <clears throat> yeah, that's good so i think we have time to talk about one more thing and i want to hit okay. on ansible because you keep mm -hmm. alluding to ansible and you mentioned it before and that's so, also in the list of nouns that like i've heard of and i know nothing about so uh what kind um, of new hotness is ansible <laughs> so and it, it's 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 really you know they I'm mad at Ansible right now. Um, oh. Again, probably unfairly, um, um, but they just got bought out by Red Hat, um, mm -hmm. and and that frightens me. That frightens me for for reasons that you know, you know, and I'll bring Java into this. So when I first started using computers, you know, I think at the time all CS schools taught people in Java, and the late nineties, ninety seven ish. Yep, that's when my school switched over to Java. And so um, my, you know, so I was trying to fit in with the cool kids, and but only the CS people had access to the Java license. And oh. to this day, to this day, I, I hate Java because of that. <laughs> you know, I hate Java because you know, come on, you know, and and and. I think so, that is a totally fair and reasonable grudge to nurture for twenty years. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, and and to this day, I I I I, I any time there is a project like this that I just got bought out by Red Hat, 
Now, they already had Ansible Tower as their, I imagine, their revenue-generating stream. And this is why I'm reserving judgment, even though I'm reserving judgment. They had a <laughs> revenue stream you know, through Ansible Tower that would allow them to, to you know, continue. To, they have to earn a living, and I respect that. Um, but it just struck me as, you know, you know, the, the, this is no good is going to come out of this. But, but I'll go back to the tool, which is a better place to spend our last <laughs> few minutes. Um, the, the tool itself is brilliant. Um, it's, you know, um, well documented. I'm trying to do X, and 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 what it is is it's an orchestration tool. Um, I administer upwards of. 60, 70 servers at any given day. Um, and you know, what I try to do is you know, treat them like cattle. And, and thinking of cattle and you, know, you prod them, move one, move this way, and they all move. Um, so in terms of security updates, I go to my control machine and I say, Ansible, update all the machines. And it logs in as a privileged user, you know, figures out what operating system is running underneath. It take if it's um, um, CentOS, it'll say yum update. If it's um, the dev family, it'll say app, you know, app, you know, it'll run the, the native tools and it does that for me. Um, I you know I used to do this with shell scripts. I used to do this with um, um, homegrown shell scripts that were not maintainable because my documentation is rubbish. Um, and and you know, but in in Ansible's case, it 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 allows you without um, needing to have pre-installed clients in all of the um, machines that you're controlling. You just use tools that are already built in. So in um, in if it's a Ubuntu box, it'll it'll use the apt app yeah, tool. Um, I will use, you know, um, SSH to log into them. I don't need to use a client. Um, I don't need to install a client on all of the machines that I'm controlling. So it's a it's a tool set that I already use. If I was if I was managing this as an individual machine, um, except what you do when you write what is called an Ansible playbook, um, you do self documentation. Is um, now I've you know I've I've talked about how people are great with documentation. I've almost always, um, this is the first time in my career where I've had another Unix sysadmin. So every time I've managed things, I've managed what I would probably say is very poorly, is that I have all the shell scripts that I've written that will allow me to manage all these machines. Mm -hmm. But if I was to leave, people are in the world of hurt. Right. Now, I've only been at two jobs, and I left on good terms that they can call me, and I'm happy to you know, clean up the mess that I left and tell them this is what you need to do. Well, this documentation was not clear. But what Ansible forces me when I'm managing these machines is now I document it in a playbook that is written in the YAML language that it will, will say the following step is doing this on these machines. The following step is doing this on these machines. Then mm -hmm. I don't have to write it for CentOS. I don't have to write it for Ubuntu. I don't have to write it for BSDs. Like it, you know, and the Ansible playbook will log in. It'll determine. It'll say, "Oh, this is an Ubuntu box. I'm going to be using Act for this to update. But this is a uh, CentOS box. I'm going to be using Yum to update this, um, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So, it allows you to orchestrate. You know, a fleet. I mean, the, the, the and I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm using a very. 
a metric I hate using when I'm um, comparing tools is I'm looking at Chef and Puppet. You know, in Chef and Puppet's case, I think if you are managing, and again, you know, I've never had this problem. If you imagine thousands and thousands of servers, you could probably justify Chef and Puppet. I'm not sure. I think Ansible will still hold its 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 own. Um, if you're managing thousands of machines, you would need, you know, Ansible maybe might not scale up. I don't know. I, I, I've never had this problem, unfortunately. But for the, the problems that I need to solve is like I need SSH into the machine. Um, I need you to do the following steps. I document those steps. I write those steps in what Ansible calls a playbook. Mm -hmm. um, the playbook will say, go in there, do these steps. Um, if Andromeda is to have a takeover, takeover for my job, it'll be. It, Ansible forces you to write documentation. It'll say the name of this mm -hmm. play is dot, dot, That's really dot. cool. And, and it, because it's saving you so much time on the back end, right. the, it's the documentation isn't. Right. It's plain speak of this mm -hmm. is logging into these machines. Um, it's using, you don't even have to know anything about CentOS if I give you a playbook. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, the Ansible tool will log in. It'll know this is CentOS. It'll know, look for yum. Um, so, um, it forces discipline that I perhaps um, didn't always have as a system administrator, um, and it, it 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 guarantees that all of your servers will be doing. Um, hang on a second. Killing noise that is you can't hear, but I can. Um, um, so it guarantees that you know if I if I when I ran my updates this morning, I know that all of them were updated because it records in the playbook that. Yes, I've logged into all of them. None of them needed updates. Some of them did, and these are the two that changed, and and I'm done. Um, and you know, my shell scripts used to do that, but you know, there was always the if it's this, right? That if it's that, you know. Um, so I'd have multiple, you know, logic, you know, built into the system. Um, so Ansible is is liberating, um, um, and it has just about a module for everything and anything you could ever think of. And this is my fear with that purchase. Um, you know, people are writing, you know, the, the built-in modules will, will allow you to do everything that you could ever need as a system administrator. But there is also an, an ecosystem that is built for, you know, it's an open source project, you know, for just about anything, things that I never even thought of. You know, it has VMware. Um, um, modules that people have written that will allow you to do and any and all, all, everything that um, a system administrator does, and I suspect that that's going to go the red hat route, um, or I speculate wildly um, that it's going to go the red hat route where you know you have to pay to to get oh, some of those things. So I, I hope it doesn't affect me, um, and I'll stick with it. There's other tools, you know. There's a Perl based one which I used to use, um, not um, as much as I've. Um, as I would have liked, um, Rexify, which does the same thing that Ansible does. Um, it's a Perl-based tool. Um, but yeah, it, that, that's, that's a problem that it tries to solve. And it, it, it allows, um, you know, if you had a junior system admin, you know, that's a good way to train them, um, is just look at this playbook, see what it does. Um, it forces you to document it. Um, it keeps. People honest and and all your servers behaving like the cat. 
So it sounds like you've just described a robot for owning all of your servers, which definitionally yes. has root privs. So how do you make this not terrifying? Um, <laughs> well, you know, you can, you can prevent that. Um, Ansible allows you to prevent that. Um, in, in most of the things that I do, so in, in I, I will describe my, my environment so everyone can try and come and break in. Um, we have um, a deployment user. So you are, you have, you've written your application in, and it's stored on GitHub. So we'll create a deployment user that is only allowed to do the updates. Mm -hmm. um, and then if it's for system updates, um, it's key-based authentication. It's restricted to one IP. Um, mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's, that's a, you know, you can't log into the control machine. I can. Um, mm -hmm. If you break into my, um, well, you can't break into my machine. But if you, if you do break into my machine, you know, then we're in a world of hurt. Um, but um, by and large, it's no different than if you, if you break into my laptop. Um, so, um, and you can limit what the Ansible, um, wait, what was your question? How, how come this robot for owning all of your machines with root privileges on everything yeah, is it, not terrifying? And, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not terrifying because, you know, it's the same thing if you were to ever get a hold of my laptop. You know, I use SSH keys to log into them, and it's it's no different. In a, let we call it let's call it Francis's agent. You know, is it you know you should be as terrified of it as you would be as terrified if you had ever got a hold of my laptop. Then you have access to all of my my boxes. So I'm not too terrified of it. Is and you know my, by design um, we allow it to only log in from one machine. Um, now logging into that machine is, you know, it's it's. Um, we make sure that only certain people can log into it, um, and, and it is if you practice, if you if you do good practices, you you will be fine. Um, hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, this has been fun. I think it I has been wrap less terrifying. Most of an hour, but yeah, I, uh, less terrifying than I thought I should add. Yeah, you shouldn't be terrified. You're a storyteller. It's always a good time talking to you. Um, and I got to learn about lots of stuff that I didn't really know anything about, which I am realizing is my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this podcast. There are many, but I, I get to go to cool people and be like, I know nothing about your work, but it sounds awesome. Tell me more. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you for your time. Um, I'll let you get back to the rest of your day. Um, thanks, Internet, for mm -hmm. listening or watching, however you do. Mm -hmm. um, until next time. Mm -hmm.